Good afternoon. What, what a blessing God has given us, uh, that we have this time that we're able to be together, um, that he has designed us as a family, as a body, that we're able to encourage and build each other up, that we're able to join our hearts together and worship to him. I know we have many who are out traveling or are sick. Some of them are able to be with us online. We're thankful for that. Thankful to have visitors here with us as well, encouraged by your presence. Carl has started in the, the newsletter this year, uh, each month, focusing on a different aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. And this month in February, uh, that, that newsletter is focused on the fruit of joy. Um, and he didn't get a chance to preach a sermon focusing on joy, uh, but before they left for Brazil. And so uh, I decided I would uh, fo- focus on that together for us today. You know, when we think about the concept of joy, uh, I think all of us recognize, well, that, that's something that I want, right? I, I want a life full of joy. That sounds like a really good thing. Um, but we often feel incapable uh, of living such a life. The hardships, the struggles that weigh us down, steal away our joy. Uh, and while joy sounds like a wonderful thing, we really kind of struggle in making that a reality. But, but I want you to notice in the passage that Luke just read for us, Philippians 4 and verse 4, that joy isn't a suggestion for the Christian. It isn't just an aspiration for the Christian. It's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And so if we are going to live as faithful Christians, uh, we, we need to live lives of joy. We need to bear the fruit of God's spirit within us. That is joy. Um, that is part of him being reflected in our character and in our lives from day to day. And so if we feel incapable of rejoicing always, maybe we're looking for joy in the wrong places. Maybe we're thinking about joy the wrong way. I want us to focus on three aspects of this command in Philippians 4 and verse 4 today that will hopefully help us better fulfill the command uh, and more fully appreciate the joy that has been made available to us in Jesus Christ. First of all, I want us to think about the source of joy. Uh, He says, rejoice in the Lord always. He doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances, rejoice in your health, rejoice in your wealth, rejoice in your earthly pet pleasures or your relationships. He says rejoice in the Lord. And any truly meaningful and lasting spiritual joy uh, can only be found in the Lord. It's the fruit of his spirit that we're talking about here. Well, What exactly does that mean to rejoice in the Lord? Where where does that joy in him come from? Uh, I think uh, on the most basic level, uh, it comes from his many blessings. Uh, Really, no joy that we experience, even in an earthly sense, no, no blessing, no experience of goodness can come from any other source besides the Lord. Uh, Turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we're going to start reading here in verse 13. I want us to kind of 
trace the, uh, the line of thought here in James chapter 1. Starting in verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay, we read a lot there, but, but how does that connect together? What, what, what is James saying in this context here? Um, because in verse 16, he tells us, do not be deceived. What, what might we be tempted to be deceived about here in this context? He's telling us if, if we're being tempted, it's not coming from God. God is immune to the disease of sin, and so we didn't catch it from him. Um, and really... Temptation comes from seeking fulfillment outside of God. Satan promises us some goodness, some fulfillment, some joy, some pleasure outside of God's design. And so what does James tell us? He tells us that only leads to death. Don't be deceived. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from the Lord. Satan has nothing good to offer us. Now, he can take some of God's goodness, some of what God created, he can corrupt it and and change it, and he can offer us some, some passing pleasures of sin. But nothing good, no true joy, no true pleasure comes from anywhere outside of God. Any good thing that we experience at its core is because God created goodness, because God is good, because anything, uh, any gift we have is from the Lord. And so in verse 18, continuing this thought, he focuses in on the greatest gift that God has given us. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. He gave us birth and life. As his children. It's interesting in this context, you have two births and growths uh, contrasted to one another. You have the birth that comes from desire, uh, from lust, that gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. But then you have the birth that God has given us. He's given us new life by the word of truth. That does not lead to death, but rather leads to salvation, to eternal life. And so really any good that we experience is from the Lord, but the greatest goodness uh, that we can rejoice in is the salvation and the hope that he has given us. First Peter chapter one talks about this new birth that God has given us. First Peter chapter one, starting in verse three, Peter writes, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Here, Peter describes that same birth that James was talking about, being born again, being brought forth by a word of truth. Here he describes it as us being born again to a living hope. This is a a, a vibrant and thriving a hope, a hope that has to do with eternal life, not leading to death like what we saw back in James chapter 1. And he describes it as an inheritance that we've received. He says it's kept or reserved in heaven, heaven for us. And this inheritance is, uh, if you go back to, to chapter 1 and verse 4, he says it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time. It cannot be destroyed, tainted, or diminished in the least from its original glory and beauty. And in the context of Peter talking about this hope, you see there in verse 6 and 7, he's writing to Christians who are going through hardships. Their circumstances themselves, uh, in an earthly sense, would be a a reason for discouragement, um, for maybe grumbling and complaining. But he says, but you have something, even in the midst of those fiery trials that are refining your faith, you have this living and vibrant hope. Verse 8 He goes on, he says, though you have not seen him, talking about Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This joy that God has given us in our salvation, in the hope that we have of something that can't be touched by the trials of this earth. Um... It transcends the experience of our five senses. It's a joy that is inexpressible. It can't be comprehended, let alone expressed, put into words. Because it's something that doesn't make sense from an earthly vantage point. Something that only makes sense when we can see the glory of something far beyond this earth. That hope that we have of eternal salvation, the salvation of our souls. But this joy, this inexpressible joy, is not just something future. It is something present. Um, Turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 with me. While this joy is very much forward-looking, It's a joy that we can experience here and now because of our relationship with the Lord. Our relationship with the giver of every good gift. In Romans chapter 5, we won't read this entire section, but I want you to notice that he talks about them rejoicing in three things in this passage. Let's start by just reading verse 1 through 5. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's like what First Peter was talking about. This living hope that we have filled with glory. We rejoice in that. 
Verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, um, who has been given to us. So not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that we have, we rejoice even in our sufferings. You, you notice, well, we'll talk about this more later, it's not in spite of our sufferings. It's because of our sufferings. Because our sufferings help us grow, refine our faith, draw us closer to the Lord, help us cling closer to the hope that he's given us. And he goes on, he talks about God's love being poured out in our hearts. In verse 6 through 10, he describes that love, how we were helpless, how we were unrighteous and ungodly, how we were enemies of Christ, and yet Jesus died for us. Talk about the love, the depth of his love that he has. But I want us to continue this thought. Um, Let's read in verse 10. He says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You, You see how he talks about three different things that we're rejoicing in? We're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. We're rejoicing in our sufferings because it's refining us and helping us grow and drawing us closer to the Lord. But now he just simply says, more than that, we also rejoice in God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are we rejoicing in the hope that we have, not only are we rejoicing in in the growth that we're experiencing through through the difficulties of this life, we're rejoicing in the relationship we have with the Lord. He says, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What does the word reconciliation mean? It means we were enemies of God. He talked about that earlier in this passage. But now that relationship has been restored. We can rejoice And the here and now, not just because of what we look forward to in the future, but because he has poured out his love for us in the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us, back in verse 5. Because God is present in our lives. Because we have fellowship with him, the source of all things good, the creator of the universe, wants to have a relationship with me. What a blessing. What an unfathomable blessing that is. And so we can rejoice in the Lord, not just what we're hoping to get from him or what we have got from him, but in in him himself, in the relationship that he wants to have and that he has offered with us. And if we understand that source of joy, then we'll be able to do the other parts of what Paul commands us in Philippians 4.4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. The joy that we're talking about here, a joy that comes from God's spirit, the fruit of the spirit, his presence with us, that comes from him, is not something that is dependent on circumstances. You know, our health, Our finances, our earthly pleasures will have their ups and downs. If that's our source of joy, it's going to be inconsistent. It's going to be unreliable. It's a weak source of joy. And while we may have times of pleasure, we're going to have times of great discouragement. Uh, 
the joy that God offers is, isn't even based on how I'm feeling. <laughs> isn't based on my emotions or my circumstances. It is a joy that is unconditional. Notice, as we talked about in Romans 5, verse 3 through 5, he said there, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Not we can rejoice despite our tribulations, despite our trials, but we rejoice in them. In fact, all of these passages that we've looked at about joy, 1 Peter 1, James 1, Romans chapter 5, you know, you know what they all talk about? Suffering, hardship, persecutions. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Wait, James, you, you meant to say, take joy in the Lord even if you are suffering trials. No. He says, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Why? Because it's refining us. That's what First Peter talks about is this fire that is refining our faith, helping us recognize that the promises that Satan gives us in this life are empty. This world, these circumstances can't offer me that joy, can't offer me that hope. And so as I am disappointed by my circumstances, I'm thankful for that. Draws my heart even closer to the Lord. Helps me see how much more I need him. And the more that I endure through that, it's going to strengthen my faith and my trust in the Lord. It helps us grow. It gives us an opportunity to bring glory to God. Um, I, I, I'm sure I've, I've said this many times, but you read through the scriptures and you think about all the, the, the stories that we teach our children in Bible class, these important lessons. What are they about? All, all these men and women of faith. It's about trials. It's about hardships and difficulties. If you took all the stories of, of trials and difficulties out of the scripture, what would you be left with? We wouldn't have many stories to be telling our, our children in Bible class, would we? No, because those were the opportunity that men and women of faith had to bring glory to God. To shine the light of the hope and the trust and the joy that only he could provide. And so when you encounter trials in your life, you know, our, our general reaction is, God, why are you allowing this to happen? From a biblical perspective, you think, this is where it's at. God's doing something amazing. And I just need to be faithful to him to find out what it is. Trials are our opportunity to shine God's light, to bring glory to him. Turn, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, here in the, the words of Jesus, um, this is parallel to, to the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, but evidently a, a, a slightly different occasion. Uh, Jesus is saying a very similar teaching here. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 20. It says, And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you 
And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. You know, if, if we today were to form a list of people that we look at as, as blessed people, you know, what, what kind of people would we normally think of? Well, well they're, they're really blessed by the Lord. When you think of the poor, the hungry, the mourning, the persecuted, that's who Jesus says is blessed. You know, what, what, what if that's the way that we pre- presented our, our, ourselves to the community around us? You know, we're, we're a group of, of poor, hungry, crying, persecuted people. Come join us. <laughs> you know, well, that doesn't sound too great, right? But Jesus says, these people are, are blessed. And he doesn't just say they will be blessed. Notice he says um, these people are blessed. Not blessed will you be, blessed are you. Notice in verse 22 he says rejoice in that day and leap for joy. What, what day is he talking about? The day when all their persecution is gone? The day when people aren't hating them anymore? No. It says, on the day that you're being persecuted, rejoice in the Lord. When our joy isn't based on our circumstances, when our joy is based on the fellowship that we can have with the creator of the universe, and the comfort and the peace and the hope that he alone can provide, then we can leap for joy in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. If our joy is in the Lord, it doesn't matter what the condition of our health is, the condition of our finances, our reputation, the way people are treating us. It doesn't matter if our circumstances are enjoyable. If emotionally we are going through times of great grief or sorrow, it simply matters that we have a relationship with God and a hope beyond this life. Look with me in the book of Habakkuk uh, in the Old Testament. Habakkuk chapter 3, the very end of that book. Uh, It's been some time ago that we reviewed this book uh, or overviewed this book in our our Sunday class. But but you may remember Habakkuk is a book about a prophet who, who questions God, questions in faith. But he's looking at Israel around him and, and seeing all the, the corruption and evil. He's saying, God, are you going to do something about this? Why, why are you allowing all this wickedness to go on? And God answers, says, you're not going to believe it. I'm bringing the Chaldeans and they're going to wipe out all of this evil. And Habakkuk says, wait a second. The Chaldeans, they're worse than we are. You know, that doesn't make sense. Why, why, why are you going to allow them to conquer us? And God says, well, they're going to be judged as well. I want you to try to imagine what Habakkuk is, is going through emotionally here as he thinks about this. Uh, imagine that, that you today in the United States look around you, you see all the corruption, you see all the evil, the suffering, and you say, God, why are you allowing all this to happen? And he says, don't worry. I'm going to bring ISIS and they're going to wipe you all out. Wait wait a second. God, they're worse than we are. 
And then God says, well, they're going to be judged too. Imagine what kind of emotional turmoil you'd be going through if God told you that that's exactly what's going to happen. I want you to read the last few verses of Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deer's feet. He makes me tread on my high places. What's Habakkuk's reaction to this impending doom that he and the wicked people around him are facing? God's in control. And it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter how bad things are. My joy is where? Is in the Lord in my relationship with him. And in that, I will rejoice. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He is my strength. Is that our attitude? Brethren, we are citizens in a heavenly kingdom that will never be destroyed, never be tainted by evil, never fade away in the least. Our joy is not conditional upon the circumstances of this earthly country that we live in. It doesn't matter if our nation is wiped out, if every earthly security and convenience is taken away, if it becomes a crime to proclaim the name of Christ, if assemblies such as this become a target of persecution, if my family and I face the threat of death because of our faith, Joy in my relationship with God and his salvation is unconditional. And brethren, if, if COVID has taken away your joy, if some trial that you're facing has robbed you of joy, perhaps your joy is in the wrong place. Because the joy that God has offered to us is not dependent on earthly circumstances in the least. It's not based on how I feel emotionally. We we see many times throughout the scripture, you know, uh, people dealing with emotions of grief and of loss and of difficulty. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something much deeper than that, that goes beyond how I'm feeling on any given day. We're talking about a joy that is not dependent on any of that. A joy that is solely focused on my relationship with the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, the source of all things good. And that kind of joy is unending. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, we talk about men and women of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, tells us about Moses. It says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Do you see that? It says, he... uh, chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I I want you to think for a moment about what life would have been like for Moses as a a prince of Egypt. 
right? He has power, luxury, and abundance of earthly pleasures and comforts. And that sounds like a pretty nice life. And instead, he wants to go out and suffer with the people of God. Well, Moses just doesn't know what he's doing, right? Now, it says that he considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He recognized that it wasn't about his earthly circumstances. There was something so much more important, so much more valuable than the joys that Egypt could offer. On the surface, it may have seemed like a poor trade-off, but it, he recognized that the pleasures of Egypt were the passing pleasures of sin. You know, sin is pleasurable. We shouldn't deny that. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be a temptation. But it is quickly passing. Satan offers us and promises us something good, something pleasurable, something enjoyable, but it leaves us empty. Uh, Jeremiah 2 describes uh, this concept as a broken cistern that can hold no water. Uh, We we pour water in, it just leaks out the other side. It leaves us empty. And we can see that even from our earthly vantage point. We, We can see how sin has consequences. And how it it promises us some momentary joy and then after it we have to deal with all the broken pieces that it causes. If we can see that from an earthly vantage point, how much more from a heavenly vantage point? From the, the vantage point of eternity, how small is this passing pleasure that we have, have given our souls to enjoy? It's not worth it. The treasures that Christ has to offer are much greater than anything this world has. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, we're told, The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. One day all the lusts of the world will all pass away and it will all amount to nothing. Sin will no longer hold even passing pleasure, but only torment and judgment. Psalm 16 and verse 11, in a context where it's looking forward to the resurrection of Christ. Psalm 16 and verse 11, the psalmist says, You will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy, and your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In God's presence, in our relationship with him, he offers us uh, joy that never fades away. Fullness of joy, pleasures forever. God's joy will fill us up and never leave us empty. Now, I I don't know fully uh, what joys heaven holds. I think it's something that we can't fully wrap our minds around. But what I do know is that God is going to be there. God, the source of all things good. God, the one who created the very concept of pleasure and enjoyment. Who is the source of every good gift. I get to spend eternity with him. And that's what's important. 
But you notice, as Paul gives this command, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Why, why does Paul need to repeat this? Why is it so important that he emphasizes? As we said, this isn't a suggestion. This isn't an aspiration. This is a command and a command that, that needs to be emphasized. In fact, in the book of Philippians, he's already said this more than once. Uh, Philippians 4 and verse 4 is the third and fourth time he has commanded them to rejoice in this book where he himself is writing from imprisonment in Rome. But this joy is extremely important, uh, first of all, because it is the heart of worship. Some of us on, on Thursday nights online have been studying through the Psalms. How many times do we see in these Psalms of praise and thanksgiving the expression of joy as kind of the, the heart of their worship. Uh, Psalm 98, verse 4 through 6 is just one example. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Verse 6, shout joyfully before the king. God is glorified when we express our joy for what he has done. When he can see his joy reflected in our hearts, in our thanksgiving, and in our praise. James chapter 5 and verse 13, James tells us, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Praises should be a natural reaction of the, the joy, uh, of God's blessings, of what God has given us. It is the expression of joy and awe and thanksgiving for who God is and what he has done that God takes pleasure in. Turn, turn with me for a moment to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28, as Moses warns the people here uh, about disobedience to the law, I, I want you to notice how he expresses this disobedience. Um, verse 47 and 48 of Deuteronomy 28, he says, because you did not serve the Lord, your God with joyful, uh, joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness, uh, and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Why is it that they're going to be punished, does he say? Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Our service to the Lord, our worship to him, needs to come from hearts that are rejoicing in what he has given us, in who he is, in the relationship that he has offered us with him. And if that's not where our worship is coming from, if that's not what we're truly expressing in our worship to him, perhaps we're not truly worshiping. We need to make sure that we are expressing that the joy of our hearts, the joy and gratitude um, that he has given us, fueling the passion for our service and worship. And this joy is a source of spiritual strength for us. In Nehemiah chapter 8, you may remember as the people come back 
to uh, the promised land from captivity. They rebuild the walls around Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 8. After that, they, they spend an entire day reading the law, a spiritual revival here led by Ezra. Um, but upon hearing the word of God, they recognize that they've been disobedient and they begin to mourn over what they're hearing in the law. But notice what Nehemiah says, verse 9 and 10. It says in verse 9, And Nehemiah, who is the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now we're going to see that there's certainly a proper place to have sorrow over our sins. There's no doubt about that. In fact, the very next chapter, they're going to spend a great deal of time confessing their sins before the Lord. In this context, they recognize that the very day on which they're reading this is supposed to be the Feast of Trumpets, which would then lead up to the Day of Atonement, which would then lead to the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was a time where they were supposed to be rejoicing in what God has done for them. Rejoicing in his forgiveness. Rejoicing in his provision for them through the wilderness. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. While there's a proper place for mourning of our sins, the, the mourning of the Lord is not our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. If, if all we ever have is sorrow for our sins, and that's where it ends, then we're not going to have the strength that we need to grow and to be who God wants us to be. That sorrow over our sins needs to lead towards a joy in God's forgiveness. We can't continue to wallow in our guilt and our grief. We need to allow that to then push us towards a joy in the fact that God cares so deeply about us that he gave a sacrifice so that those sins could be cleansed. So that we could have joy and peace and hope once again in him. You know, I think sometimes when, when we're sorrowful over our sins, we, we can start feeling like, well, you know, I, I just don't think I'm, I'm worthy to pray to God. Uh, and, I, and I'm just not sure, you know, the way my life is going right now, I, I, I just don't feel right being in the assembly. I don't feel like I'm worthy to sit around the Lord's table and eat the Lord's Supper. If you're not doing well spiritually, that's what you need more than anything. Of course you need to be praying. Of course you need to be with God's people. Satan is convincing you that sorrow over your sins is going to keep you away from the Lord? No. Sorrow over your sins needs to draw you towards his arms because he loves you. The joy of the Lord, his forgiveness and his grace is our strength. It can strengthen us in trials, strengthen us in temptations. It needs to fuel the fires of our passion and zeal for the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 talks about running with endurance the race before us. It says in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What helped Jesus endure the cross? The joy set before him. The joy of his fellowship with us. Of taking us home to be with him. 
if we're going to take up our cross and follow him, we need that same joy motivating us. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Take our eyes off the winds and the waves that distract us and pull us down. Fix our eyes on Jesus and the joy that we can have in him. And let that drive us to greater diligence and passion in his service, even through the midst of difficulty and trial. And lastly, that joy is a light to the lost. We're going to look at one last passage in Acts chapter 16. Just turn with me there. Remember in Acts 16, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy come to Philippi and they begin preaching there. Uh, Lydia and her household are converted, but then uh, they get thrown into prison. It says in verse 23, uh, and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. That doesn't sound like a very enjoyable circumstance, does it? Beaten, thrown into the, the darkest, most inner part of the prison, locked up, uh, even having uh, their, their feet in stocks here. Notice in verse 25, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Remember James 5, verse 13, that we just read a moment ago, said, If anyone is uh, suffering, let him pray. If anyone is joyous, let him sing psalms. What, what are Paul and Silas doing? They're doing both. Uh, praying and singing praises to the Lord even in an extremely difficult uh, and unenjoyable situation. One of the best ways that we shine our lights is to reflect the joy of the Lord in difficult and distressing circumstances, in, in earthly situations that joy doesn't make sense from an earthly perspective. But we can have that joy because of the Lord. And it says the prisoners were listening to them. Have you ever thought when, when the Philippian jailer comes to them after this earthquake and he says, what must I do to be saved? Where did that question come from? You know, why, why, why does he think that that's the question he needs to ask? And why does he think that these are the people that are going to answer it? You know, could it be that there's a whole lot of what Pilate and Silas have been saying, what the prayers that he heard them praying, the, the songs that he heard them singing? that has helped him realize they have something that I don't have. They have something that I need. Later on, in verse 33 and 34, notice what it says. It says, And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. That joy that he saw in Paul and Silas, he has it now. The joy in his relationship with the Lord. Do we spread the gospel like that? Maybe none of us have been thrown in prison lately. Uh, but when we're going through difficult times, when things are challenging, when things are discouraging, when our circumstances uh, give us every reason to grumble and complain. 
And yet we reflect a joy that transcends any of that, that's inexpressible and full of glory. The world around us is going to see that we have something that they need, something that only God can give. Remember First uh, Peter three fifteen. Uh, be ready to give a defense. Sanctify Christ as your heart as Lord, always being ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Has anybody ever asked you a reason for the hope that is in you? If not, maybe we need to be bearing that fruit of the Spirit a little bit more clearly. Are we shining the light of God's joy in our life from day to day? Brethren, rejoicing in the Lord is not a suggestion. It's a command. And if we can't say that we've been doing that, then something needs to change. That's not always easy. (laughs) Jesus didn't promise that it would be easy. But it's something that we need to be committed to doing, to focusing more and more on our relationship with the Lord and letting the joy of that fellowship shine forth in everything that we do. If you recognize today that you haven't been living a life of joy, um, then won't you repent? Won't you change? Won't you allow the joy of God's Spirit dwelling within you to shine forth? If you don't know how to do that, if if you're not sure you have that, then will you allow us to help you find it in the Lord? That's something that God has offered to all of us through the sacrifice of his son, that we can have a living hope. We can be born again to a living hope. If you haven't been born again, then won't won't you do that today? The reason that we're here is to help one another grow in our relationship with the Lord, that we can spend an eternity together with him. If there's any way that we can help you in committing your life to the Lord, if you need to confess your belief in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, to bury your old life in the waters of baptism, by God's grace and the power of the resurrection, you can be raised to walk in newness of life with God's Spirit dwelling within you and bearing fruit in your life. If we can help you in that, won't you please let us know at this time. We're going to stand and sing a song that's been selected. uh, And if you'll come forward, uh, if we can help you in any way, won't you please do that?